the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Oh, listen, oh, listen, oh, listen, King Pharaoh. Oh, listen, oh, listen, please let my people go. They want to go away. They work too hard all day. Oh, Pharaoh, King Pharaoh, what do you say? No, 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 I will not let them go. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finner. We've got a great show for you today. This half hour of the show, we're going to be speaking with a consul general from Israel, serving the Midwest. His name is Daniel Einstein. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Israel. Lots, lots, and lots of things going on in Israel. The second half hour of the show will feature a monologue featuring the Parsha of Mitzorah, which can be found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 3. 13 and following we'll talk about passover we've got a great story at the end music scattered throughout before we do anything else let's go right to the news in response to the terrorist attack in tel aviv that killed five idf forces arrested five arabs from Janine, including the terrorist's brother the five are charged with aiding terrorism Two Arabs from East Jerusalem attacked two border police in Jerusalem's Ben Yehuda Market. The Arabs were shot in the leg and arrested. An Arab terrorist attacked people on a bus near Efrat with a screwdriver. Another passenger shot and killed the attacker. Israel hosted the U.S. Secretary of State and foreign ministers from Egypt, Bahrain, Morocco, and the United Arab Emirates for a two-day summit in southern Israel. The talks focused on the common Iranian threat to the region and energy issues. And finally, the U.S. Senate unanimously, finally, unanimously confirmed Deborah Lipstadt for anti-Semitism monitor. Her job will entail tracking acts against Jews around the world. And that's the news. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. We have online... Mr. Daniel Ashheim, who is the uh, representing the Consul of Israel serving the Midwest of the United States. We're going to be talking about all types of things going on in Israel. There's a lot going on in Israel. How are you today, Daniel? How are you? Good to talk to you, Robert Finman. Uh, uh, Long Shem. time. It's always, Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's always, I mean, you have something to talk about. It has to be something like, you know, what it might be. But suddenly, <laughs> there's like this whole convergence of things that's happening in Israel. I don't even know if we could full, probably fill up the whole hour with, with, with what's going on. The first thing, of course, is the recent acts of, of violence and terrorism. My, my first question which which really seemed perplexing is with the previous intifadas and with like the different uh, wars in Gaza and whatnot, there seemed to always be something that was quote unquote provoked the violence. This seems to be just sort of like mushroomed all over the place simultaneously. What's, what's behind all of this now, all of a sudden, uh, Daniel? So as you mentioned, quickly, we are facing a wave of recent vicious terrorist attack against Israeli civilians, against uh, people who are walking in the streets and live their life, and suddenly they have a gunman or someone stabbing them in the back. And yes, there are those who try and find the reasons behind it. Once they claim it's because of Jerusalem, once they claim it's because of other things. Bottom line, are these are people who are seeking to murder as many Jewish civilians as possible, and they happen also to murder Christian Arabs. Recently, we saw a policeman who was Christian. We saw two Ukrainian uh, residents who were murdered. But their bottom line is trying to murder as many Jews as possible on the streets of Israel. And I think that trying to justify it. So there are legitimate criticism on certain things that might happen, but there's no excuse for terrorism whatsoever. That's for sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. We're going to talk a little bit later of what's known as the summit from the South. Is that maybe a response to the, the feeling that the Palestine issue is now irrelevant since we have the uh, the Abraham Accords and Israel is focusing on now. I see there's a free trade agreement which is which is being developed with the with the UAA and uh, UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and uh, other things that are happening with the rest of the Arab world and sort of the Palestinians are being left behind. And this is a means to pushing it back the issue back up to the top. I would like to divide the answer to two parts. So saying the first one is, as you mentioned correctly, we are seeing significant historic changes in the region. The Middle East is the new Middle East. It's the Middle East that we could not imagine a few years ago to see a summit where we can talk more about it, but the negative summit that took place last week 
between five foreign ministers. It was hosted by the Israeli foreign minister, Yair Lapid, Secretary of State Blinken. We had the foreign minister of the UAE, Abdallah bin Zayed, the foreign minister of Bahrain, Aziani, the foreign minister of Egypt, Shukri, and the foreign minister of Morocco, Borita, who all came to Israel to celebrate peace, celebrate working together in partnership between the Jewish state, between the Arab Muslim countries, of course, the closest ally, the United States of America, to work on stabilizing the region, work towards a better future for all people, whether Christians, Arabs, Muslim, Jews, living in this region, against the destabilization efforts of the extremist Iranian regime, and to work on building cooperation in culture, economy, academia, science, technologies, really everything possible. And in the same time, we are seeing also certain people and certain groups who, of course, don't like the fact that there is a peace and they would, whatever they want to do is, is make this place a bloodshed. And I think what we're experiencing now, I think the Palestinian question is an important question. I don't think that's something that needs to be put as pushed aside. And I think that we call on the Palestinian leadership to join the peace circle and join the peace efforts. And it's unfortunate that they still haven't joined that train. And we always want them to join, and peace is very important. And we are seeing significant changes on the ground that Israel is allowing more and more Palestinian workers to work in Israel. We are doing working on joint programs and joint partnerships in the economy, commerce with the Palestinian neighbors. Nevertheless, those people who committed these vicious terrorist attacks they don't care whether it's the Palestinian issue today or this or the other thing. Some of them were extremists that identify with the Islamic the ISIS, and some of them were, were unfortunately Israeli Arab citizens, and some of them were Palestinian terrorists. So I think the combination of them doesn't allow us to, to assume that it's because this reason or the other. It's just extremism that goes for more than 100 years of not accepting our presence the Middle East. Okay, that is, that was very so, well said. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, you raised an interesting point. Just for the clarification, what's the difference between a Palestinian and an Israeli Arab? So the difference: we are in Israel. Twenty percent of the citizens of the state of Israel are Arabs. There was a there minority, but a significant minority. Most of them, the vast majority, are Muslim Arabs. We have a Christian majority, a minority within them. We have Druze, Cherkes, and more groups. And they are citizens of the state of Israel with all that it means. So they have the responsibility, they have the rights, they have the duties. Like any other Israeli citizen, like any other Jewish citizen, equal rights. Of course, at certain times, there are social gaps, economic gaps that are bridged. We are trying to do our best to bridge these gaps. Nevertheless, they're equal rights citizens. Then we have the Palestinians who are, some of them live in Gaza, some of them live in the West Bank, and they are to the authority of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank or in Judea and Samaria, or in the, when we're talking about the Gaza Strip, they're ruled by, by Hamas. And they are... They are working together. You worked together with us before to try and reach a compromise. Nevertheless, they never accepted any compromise for peace, despite ongoing efforts from the 1990s. And but yeah, they are. Some of them are related beforehand, but this is the situation on the ground. 
Okay, so are there Israeli Arabs that live in the West Bank and Palestinians that live within what's called Greater Israel? Is it just a geographic thing? I'm just asking, is it just geographic or is it something does a person will stand up and identify, I'm a Palestinian, and a person will say, I'm an Israeli Arab? Or are they just it's like the same, it's, so, are they the same people? So a lot of them say, are coming from the same descendants and different families. Some would consider these are identity issues. Like in America, some would call themselves first an American Jew. The other one would say Jewish American. It's very personal. So some consider themselves Arab Israelis. Some consider themselves Israeli Arabs. Some consider themselves Palestinians of Israeli citizenship. So everyone could define themselves differently. We consider them Israeli Arabs like they're Israeli Jews. Okay. Thank you for that sidebar. Okay. So one of the things that's happened is, of course, Passover is coming up. And Israel's, I think it used to be number one, but I think it's now number two, industry is tourism. So people want to go to Israel. People are planning trips to Israel. Let's, uh, first of all, what's new as far as like planning a trip to Israel? What has to be done it was the, that wasn't able to be done in, uh, six months, a year, a year ago. And then what should people be thinking in light of what's going on with these mushroom terrorist attacks that are going on? So fortunately, we, the tourism is not anymore the leading income uh, source of Israel. Israeli economy is based on startup and high tech. That's what made us pass the pandemic in a very good rate. We have the growth rate, which is the, the highest in the Western world, despite COVID. And we saw even industries growing. And so this is very fortunate for us. Nevertheless, of course, tourism is very important for us. And I'm happy to say that we have the opportunity to more than welcome to come back and visit the magnificent Israel. And as of regulations, it's eased dramatically. So every person now, whether Israeli citizen, non-Israeli citizen, whether vaccinated or not vaccinated, is allowed to enter Israel. What's needed to be done beforehand is a PCR test prior to the flight, and then one more test once, land, once one lands. And when you get a negative result, you can, you're free to go and tour the beautiful country. To be filled immediately online, you get an immediate response and you get clearance. So this is, this is great news. And the skies are open again and tourists are coming to the country. The hotels are looking forward, the venues, the tourist sites, the restaurants. Everyone is looking forward to seeing the tourists come back. And as to these terrorists, no, the answer is I would not let terrorism determine our life and not our plans. And we do everything to keep our citizens safe and, of course, our visitors safe. And, and I would, that wouldn't deter me from going. It's an interesting point. Um, just to reiterate and, and maybe emphasis, the first time I went to Israel was during the First Intifada in 1988. And I very much wanted to go to Hebron and uh, pray at the, visit the, the Cave of the Patriarchs. So I was talking to the person who was one of the, the guards who was standing there and directing me where I could go, where I couldn't go. Was it just about the time for the Muslims to come pray the afternoon prayers? So I asked him, I said, aren't you concerned about living in this 
you know, you have to, in Hebron, you have to drive here in a bulletproof bus. And, you know, aren't you worried? And he said, the only time my wife ever got mugged was in a New York City subway. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 we shouldn't leave our wife. In, in other words, terrorism, terrorists are only successful once they create terror. And if they don't create terror, then they weren't successful. Would you agree exactly. with that? Okay. Exactly. I approve that. And I think that what they're trying to do, and we see it when I just came back last uh, two days ago from being in New York. We had a conference of Israeli diplomats there. We visited the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. See there that the horrific terror, terrorist acts committed here in the United States, the way to deal with it is rebuild, continue to live and prosper and build new things and expand and remember the victims, but remember the best way to the, remember the victims is looking forward to build, create, and stay, get out of these. Don't let the terrorists win by moral warfare, and we are stronger, and together we can overcome all of these things. Okay, very good. Our guest today, if you're just tuning in, is Daniel Asheim, who is representing the consul of the Council Israel Council serving the Midwest, and we are talking about things that are going on in Israel. Okay, so we, we briefly touched on, I want to get a little bit more deeper into it, the, the Summit of the South, as it's called in English. If you could explain more in detail the this, this significance, why was it necessary? Just, I mean, it could have been a monumental thing if it was held in Antwerp, but the fact that it was indeed had it, uh, held in Israel and there's plans for it to become a, uh, a regular thing and uh, th- topics of discussion and the possible growth for, for next time, Daniel. Yeah, so you're right. This is a dramatic historical step. So I, a few years ago when I was on a honeymoon with my wife, we decided on the way to the Maldives to stop in a place called Abu Dhabi in Dubai. This place was for us, this Las Vegas of the desert, a place we all aspire to go to. Nevertheless, we needed to come in with our, with our foreign passports as Israeli citizens were not allowed to enter. And we are fast-forwarding a few years to 2021-22. Out of my 15 friends, 12 of my closest friends visited Dubai or are working with Dubai or investing with Dubai and companies. And flying with direct El Al Israeli Airlines flights to Abu Dhabi or Dubai, which is an extraordinary change. Now, this change is not only a symbolic one. It's a change. It's, we're already talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that are coming to joint ventures between Israel, Morocco, Bahrain, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. And we are seeing here significant changes, but not only there, also strengthening the relations with Egypt and Jordan, our longtime allies. And building something different, not only a cold, distant peace, but a warm peace between the people, between the leadership, but a peace which is based on mutual interests, common values, and also a way to continue and really bring this Middle East to a different place. And this new Middle East that we are experiencing is based on, A, also confronting the extremism coming from Iran, which is the number one terror exporter and destabilizer of the region. And two is really building joint ventures and building really new projects between the sides. 
and the importance of having the summit in Israel. Israel, the Jewish state, that not so many years ago was not recognized by most of the Arab countries in the world, now holds the summit of very important foreign ministers, including the Secretary of State of the United States of America, Israel's closest ally, in Israel, in the desert of Israel, southern Israel, where Ben-Gurion, our founding leader, brought his house there, buried there. It's not only symbolic and historical, it's a game changer. And continuing from here and arranging more and more summits in the future, they already decided on the next one. This is, this is a change of reality. It's a very optimistic, it's, it's the best answer to terrorism that is trying to stop us from, from advancing. This is the true advancement. Okay. Was it more than, was Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, was his presence there more than just for photo ops? Was he really necessary for him to be there? I mean, we do have lots of, you mentioned a great ally, et cetera, but Israel has other great allies. They weren't brought to the table. Why did the United States need to be part of this specific uh, summit, Daniel? So the United States is also the one that brought this, these agreements. They were the sponsors of these agreements, the Abraham Accords, the historical one. And as much credit we need to give to the previous administrations, both in the Israeli government, previous Israeli government, and previous American administration, the new administration led by President Biden is supporting and putting a lot of efforts in continuing to make these agreements and to put in content into them. And Secretary of State Blinken is a close friend of an ally of the state of Israel, and their presence, of course, is vital. So it's not in order to bring the others, but it's it's a true part of of who what this is and what it means on the global scale. Not only a local alliance, but it's a global alliance with the leader of the free world, the United States of America, and together with its closest ally, Israel, and of course the new friends in the Middle East the countries that were at present. Okay, what plans are there for the expanding of the middle of the Abraham Accords? You have you have Libya, you have Tunisia, you have Qatar, you have, uh, you have Saudi Arabia. The, what about, in, we can go as far even east as, Pac, uh, as far as Pakistan. What, what about those countries, Daniel? Look, we would hope and pray, we pray every week, <laughs> every day for peace and peace and new alliances. I wish all the countries you mentioned before would become close friends of Israel, and we aspire for that, and hopefully we'll have new members join. We don't, I don't have anything concrete currently, uh, but I know there are always ongoing efforts to bring more countries into, into the circle. Some of them is, is easier, some of them is more challenging, but we're working slowly but surely, and really with our allies, with the United States of America, to expand this peace circle. Okay, indeed. Our guest today, again, is Daniel Ashine. He is the, representing the Council of Israel, serving the Midwest. We are talking about all things Israel today. Um, I'm wondering, um, what have, what, I've, I've, there's, there's been a lot of media attention to the field hospital that has been set up in Ukraine, and if you could maybe shed some light on that and the significance of that, Daniel. Yes, so thank you. So what we're experiencing now is, is very dramatic and very tragic. We are seeing a war in the middle of Europe, something, uh, scenes that we thought we'll never, ever see again. 
We're seeing vicious attacks against civilians in Ukraine, and our hearts are with the Ukrainian people, but not only our hearts, but our actions. And I think our actions on the ground show how important it is for us to help on a humanitarian level. We have hundreds of tons of humanitarian aid that was sent by Israeli government to the Ukrainian people, whether it's generators, the medical supplies, whether it's, it's things to keep people warm, whether it's medicines and more. And we are also talking about thousands of Israeli volunteers from the civil society, but also from Israeli organizations like the Magen David Adom or Ichud Atzala or Israel, a lot of different organizations that are coordinated by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on the board, in the, within the borders, inside Ukraine to help the refugees, to give relief to the people who are suffering greatly. And we also built now the field hospital. We're the only country who is operating a field hospital inside Ukraine. And it's, it's very, very significant there. We are talking about more than 50 staff that is coming from the best Israeli hospitals in, in Israel who flew to Ukraine, who are dedicating their time, efforts in order to help the civilians on the ground there. And it's more than just giving first aid. It's really the, to the state-of-the-art medical facilities that were built there, also to help pregnant women and help uh, help people with very severe diseases and things that we can assist with, we are doing. And this is the spirit of Israel, the true spirit of the state of Israel. We okay. are here for our allies. We're here. We're doing it on morality basis, humanitarian basis, and assisting our friends. Okay, that's wonderful. My question, though, is how, how is Russia supposed to look at this? Israel does have a, I don't know exactly what you call it, a working relationship with Russia, but there is something there. Will the Russians say, you guys sided with Ukraine, therefore we're going to do such and such? So our relationship with Russia is an important country in the world. Most of the countries we're trying to work with, and we also have strategic importance in the relationship we had with Russia, especially since uh, the civil war in Syria that brought uh, Russian forces on the ground, military presence on our northern border in Syria. And we, our first strategic goal of Israel is to prevent Iran from providing weapons, very strategic weapons, to the terrorist organization in our northern border. And based on that, we have a mechanism working with the Russian army in order to, according to international forces, international reporting, Israel sometimes attacks convoys of Iranian forces or Iranian weapons in Syria. And this, is, this coordination mechanism is very important to us. Nevertheless, on the moral and humanitarian stance, Israel is very clear aggressor here and who is the victim and the victims here and our hearts are with the Ukrainian people and yes we do keep a relationship with Russia and we also you can see our Prime Minister Naftali Bennett in the midst of the negotiations and trying to mediate between the sides. He visited uh, President Putin. He talked daily with President Zelensky in order to bring an end to this bloodshed and this is the number one priority to end the bloodshed. How's that going? 
How is that going? Uh, hopefully it's going, it's going to come slowly, but it's not, uh, we don't have anything new that I can report too optimistic, but the efforts are continuing all the time. Okay. That is wonderful. Uh, Daniel, actually, I want to thank you so much for taking time to come and explain all these things to us. And I feel uh, a whole lot better about what's going on. And I want to wish you and your family Chag HaPesach Kosher V'Sameach a very happy and healthy and kosher Passover. Thank you, and to you as well, and to all our listeners, Chag Sameach, and a peaceful and quiet one to all. and Shabbat Shalom. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We got time for some music right now. Excuse me. We have time for some music right now. West Rogers Park is making a comeback. They took a hiatus as they they started out as a couple of guys, who just a couple of guys, and then they both went on their ways. They got married, they got jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But they decided to get back, which is always a good thing. This is a, what do they call it, a remix of an A.B. Rottenberg song, which was sung by, um, uh, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name right now. It'll come to me. But it's called, the place is called, the song is called, There is No Place. Oh, Moshe, yes. Thank you very much, Brian, for your turkey. This is a Moshe, yes song written by A.B. Rottenberg. There's no place like home. You have searched so long for the answers and the truth. They said you find it here with promises of truth. But the long white rose, the chanting in the streets, left you cold. You so still had to see what you're looking for is right there at your door. Believe me when I. So come on back Oh, 
stand up straight and tall You're where you want to be Knowing that strong as steel Your faith has set you free When you gaze up at that simple wall You have the palm stone You say the journey is over I am home When you're Approaching, why go anywhere else for your holiday shopping when you can go to the Grove? Fully renovated, the Grove is located on Greenfield Road just south of 696. At the Grove, you'll find the largest selection of kosher foods and wines in Michigan. Looking for fresh, round holiday challahs, honey cake, or exotic fruit for the new year? The Grove has it. The Grove has the freshest produce, gourmet dairy, deli, and meats. They even have a kosher bakery and hot takeout right on the premises. It's The Grove on Greenfield Road in 696 for all your shopping needs. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Just a reminder that The Grove has all of your Passover needs, all kinds of uh, matzah and holiday items, everything you could possibly need for Passover, and we're afraid to ask. They're all available at The Grove. Greatest, great wine selection. I mean, this is, you're talking uh, five-star when it comes to wines. Wow. Very impressive. Go to The Grove. Up next, for your listening pleasure, there's a little Passover music. This is Shulam Lemmer, who's becoming famous. The song is Diana, which is probably one of the most famous Passover songs. This is a mash between Diana and Kilo Na'a, which is, I believe, like one of the next-to-last songs sung at the Passover. And let's listen to Shulam Lemmer. Dying, 
ספרו לי שמדובר בעתיד הרחוק שעדיף לי לשתוק, לא להעיר את הדוב או את גוג ומגוג ואל תאיצו לנחמני שיום אחד הוא יבוא קצתי מלדחות את הקץ בתירוצי היגיון אני רוצה חולם דורש משיח היום, משיח היום. רק לא להצליח, תצליח. מלך המשיח, מלך המשיח. רק לא להצליח, תצליח. מלך המשיח. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-born infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, we'll be reading in the synagogue the portion of Metzorah. It also happens to be what's referred to as Shabbos HaGadol, and we'll explain both of those and link the two together. Metzorah can be found in the middle of the book of Edic, uh, Leviticus, chapter 13 and 14, uh, maybe 14 and 15, and describes the process by which one who has been afflicted with saras, which is discussed in great detail in last week's portion, gets purified from that process. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe did not like the idea that the portion should be called with a name of something which is unclean, like a matzora, and he called it Parshas Tahara, since the purpose of the portion is to, uh, de- to delineate the purification process. So he called it, rather than Parshas Mitzorah, which means the portion of the person with Tzaras, he called it the portion of purification. Shabbos Hagadol marks the day that the Jews took a lamb and tied it to their bedposts on the 10th of the month of Nisan, 10 days into Nisan, four days before the, the Ashkishul Passover. 
Thus, by spurring the interest of the Egyptians, wondering why a person would take a lamb and bring it into their house. You know what lambs do, and they do it quite often. And it's not something you want having done in your house. So they inquired, what's going on? And they said, well, this is your, <laughs> you guys worship the sheep. And in four days, we're going to take this, this lamb and we're going to uh, slaughter it, and put its blood on our doorposts. And then we're going to roast this lamb and we're going to eat it. And when we get done eating it, we're going to leave because all of your firstborn are going to get killed in a plague. So by this time, this is, you're talking plague number 10 already. The Egyptians know that when the Jews say, oh, there's a plague coming, there's a plague coming. They mounted an insurrection, the firstborn, against Pharaoh. There was a battle. This must have been some serious battle because 15,000 people were killed in that battle on that day. And since then, the Jews have commemorated the day as the beginning, really, of Passover. Now, generally speaking, we commemorate days on days of on calendar days, which would have been the tenth of Nisan. But Miriam, Moses' Moses's sister, Moses and Aaron's sister, passed away on the tenth, and it would not be in on her honor. She was a very honorable person. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have had Moses, and no Moses, no Jewish people, no Torah, no nothing. So in honor of her, so the commemoration was pushed to the day of the week in reference to Passover rather than the day of the month. Passover, the, 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 what happened during Passover, the Passover, was, for all intents and purposes, a purification it's talked about in the, in the books about preparing for Passover that we do not tolerate the slightest bit of grain which has come in contact with water for any length of time. The only grain that we eat is matzah, which is assured that it's baked within 18 minutes so that it didn't start to rise. Back in the day of less affluent times, people didn't have the luxury of having separate dishes and separate pots. And so there was a whole pot process of purification, of getting anything which might have been absorbed into the pots, out of the pots. For a pot which is used for boiling, it involves submerging the pot in boiling water. For something which was used directly on the fire, it meant putting that item, like a, a grate or a sp barbecue spit, that type of a thing, a barbecue fork, directly into the fire and heating it up. Same thing with an oven, heating it up to, say, which would be the equivalent of about 750 degrees Fahrenheit to burn off anything, which is we call that today self-clean, to burn off anything which may have been absorbed so that now when we cook, there's no chance of any of that previous leavened grain being absorbed into our Passover food. This process of purification is called Haggalah. Haggalah is translated as purging, getting rid of all the schmutz, all the bad stuff. What happened to the Jewish people at Passover 
was a type of a purging, hence the connection with the portion of the week, getting rid of impurity, becoming purified. The Jews, Passover, let's, let's back up a half a second. The Egyptian bondage was supposed to last for 400 years, and it only lasted 210 years because the Jews were standing on the 49th level of impurity, at the waiting to fall into the abyss of the 50th level, in which case it would have been they would have just, God would have gone home and said, I'll do something else. They're lost. They're gone. But God took us out. And by doing so, stopped the impurity and raised us up a level such that within a mere 49 days, this is a process of only 49 days, the Jews ascended from the 49th level of impurity to the 49th level out of 50 of purity and were given the 50th level by the giving of the Torah. So we see this intrinsic connection. So what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Passover is more than just stuffing your face. It's nice. I recommend it. Listen, everybody has to eat matzah. We have shmura matzah for sale at uh, Jewish Ferndale. You can contact me at rabbifinman.com, at jewishferndale.com. We have it for sale. We have it for giveaway if you just want some for your Seder. So do that today. We are running out of supplies really quick. A lot of my matzah comes from Ukraine, and you can imagine that a lot of Ukrainian matzah did not get out of Ukraine, and I don't know what's going to be with Ukrainian matzah next year if they don't do any planting this year. But it's more than that. Passover is a time, it's called the birth of the Jewish people. It's a time of of newness, of rededication, of becoming a pure individual. That's what we're doing. And what we're doing next is taking a quick commercial break and coming right back with the Hasidic story. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Go to rabbifinman.com. If you're listening on rabbifinman.com, that's fine. Just wait till the show is over and flip over and drop me a line, anything you'd like. There's all other kinds of other things at rabbifinman.com. And if you are listening to rabbifinman.com and it's not convenient, you can listen also on iTunes, on Spotify, on Odyssey Radio, on uh, iHeartRadio, anywhere where you find a podcast, you'll find the Jewish Hour. So it's very convenient for you. But, of course, I would like to direct you to, of course, rabbifinman.com. And rabbifinman.com also has the very important donations page, which is how we have been able to keep this show on now. 28 years we're on air. Yes, we celebrated our birthday month in March. It is now April. Baruch Hashem, February has been paid. We now have just March and April. If April is paid for before the end of April, then I don't make the appeal, and I get to tell you a longer story. So go to rabbifinman.com. Make it a proper donation one time, something that would make your mother proud, or make it a smaller donation, but make it a regular donation monthly. You could do that, set that up all through PayPal. It's all a wonderful thing. And let's keep functional, entertaining, educational, and quality radio programming on 
up and running for another 28 years. I'm not going anywhere. I hope to be here still, and I hope to still have my mellifluous tones in 28 years from now. Yes, indeed. I'll only be in my 90s at that time. Okay. <laughs> this story, this is a classic story. And if you go online, it seems somehow I get credit for telling this story. For I, I guess I was the one who popularized the story, but I had nothing to do with it. I just I just told it, and then it went out on the, on the web, and then it was called the web because you send it to two people, and two people send it to four and four to eight, and eventually it's got like a million people. So the following story involves a person referred to as the B'nai Yisachar, who was a Hasidic leader in the in mid-1800s. When he was a small boy, his father was a schoolteacher, who hired himself out in another city to tutor a, a couple of sons of an innkeeper in the middle of no place. They didn't have, it was basically homeschooled, but with a teacher. As it happened, there was a horrible blizzard, and four peasants, uh, local peasants, they were probably Ukrainian, as a matter of fact, banged on the door. They're, they're lost. They don't know where they are. Can they come in? The innkeeper said, you got any money? He said, no. He said, get lost. The, the father said, what are you doing? They're going to die. He said, do you want to pay for their needs? He said, I'll pay for their needs. So the storm went on for two weeks and took another week to dig out. In the meantime, these peasants are living it up. They're having a good time at the expense of the Benigni Sacher's father. And after they were able to leave, they thanked him profusely for saving their lives, and they left. Comes now, he was there from after Rosh Hashanah to before Passover. And so before Passover, the innkeeper settled up. He said, I owe you 40 rubles for teaching my son, which is enough, I suppose, to live on for six months. You owe me, for what the peasants ate for those three weeks, 43 rubles. So when you come back after Passover, please bring me the three rubles. Have a nice Passover. This is like he's working the whole, the whole, his whole six months of work went, was working for three, four peasants to enjoy themselves. But he figured something's going to happen. So he's walking, he's walking, he's walking, and uh, he came back into town. And uh, I don't remember exactly which town the Bnei Yisachar lived in, but right now, maybe I knew at one point. It was like Brody or Leblin or some. It was a major. It was a. It was a decent sized town. If anybody knows, you can remind me at rabbifinman.com. Drop me a line. And he's walking. And he said, "I got nothing to go home for." So he pulled into like the first synagogue and he sat there. He opened up a book. He started to learn. So the Bnei Yisachar sitting in school. He heard your father's in town. So he asked permission. He hasn't seen his father since after it's after the holidays, since Sukkot. He asked permission, can I go home and see him? He said, yeah. So he runs home, Ma, Ma, where's Ta, Ta? He's, he's not here yet. Maybe he's in the road someplace. He run, Did you see my father? Did you see my father? Someone said, I saw him going to that synagogue. So he runs into the synagogue, throws his arms around his father. Tati, Tati, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Come, come, you have to come home. I want to show you all the stuff. Mom bought all the things for Passover ready, and we have I have new clothes and new shoes. And he's listing all the things that, that his mom bought. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I got to face the music. Now, as they're walking home, the alleyways of this town were very narrow. And if a coach came running through, which was want to happen, there was no place for a pedestrian. So what the pedestrian needed to do was duck into a doorway. 
And of course, but the coaches made enough noise, you could hear them a half a block away, maybe more. So as they're walking home, a coach approached, they ducked into the doorway, and as the coach passed them, it hit a pothole, and a box fell off the back of the, of the, uh, of the wagon, of the coach. The Benesach's father ran, stop, stop, stop. The coach turned the corner, disappeared. They opened up the box, and inside was 43 rubles. Let me give you a little preamble now of what happens next. We have a tradition that towards the end of the Seder, we open the door and we invite Elijah the prophet to visit our Seder. There's a whole story there. Maybe I'll tell it next week as to why he has to do that. And we have a tradition that if you open the door and there's anybody, anything there, that is Elijah. I have been celebrating Passover for 45 years, and whenever I open the door, there's nothing there. Just as an indication. Nobody there, nothing there. So he opened up the B'nai Yisachar, who was 10 years old, was given the, the job of opening the door. He opened up the door, and he yelled, Hey, Ta, the wagon driver is here. There was nobody there. The B'nai Yisachar's father pulled him aside and said, Do not tell anybody about this story until you're on your deathbed. And indeed, the story was told on his deathbed to his number one student, whose name escapes me. I used to know it way back when. And that story was told to Rabbi Scholenberg Gordon of Blessed Memory, who still lived in the city of Dachshut, Poland, when he was a boy. And he heard the story from the B'nai Yisachar's student. And I heard it from Rabbi Gordon, and you heard it from me. That's going to do it. We hope we have a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.